Hi guys, tonight's reading is from Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and I will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for your future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him greatly. He will father twelve tribal leaders, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking to him, God withdrew from Abraham. So Abraham took his son Ishmael, and those born in his household or purchased, every male among the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was thirteen years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his household, whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. If you were um, confused by the tattoo question, uh, yes, it's not an ethical kind of 
question. It's just a way for us to connect into what's happening in this passage. Because there's this great movie by Christopher Nolan called Memento. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Uh, But the main character, Leonard, he suffers from this condition where he can't form new memories. Think of a more serious version of Finding Dory. Uh, To help Leonard remember and hold fast to what is true, he tattoos his body with words and images to try to point him to the truth and enable his quest to find his wife's killer. It's a thrilling movie. Lots of parallels with Finding Dory, I'm sure you'd imagine. But the central idea of defacing one's body to remember the truth has some parallel, I think you'll see, with what's happening here in Genesis chapter 17. The key idea that comes through this chapter is that God cements His covenant, revealing more promises, and commands His people to signify the covenant through circumcision. I've broken up the passage into two sections to help us digest it a little bit easier. First, we're going to look at the covenant cemented in verses 1 to 8, and then we're going to see circumcision commanded in verses 9 to 27. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first point is going to be about this covenant cemented, and it comes from verses 1 to 8 of Genesis 17. We've had three weeks of God speaking to Abram about his covenant, and each time more of this covenant is being revealed. In Genesis 12, it was simple, land, nation, blessing. In Genesis 15, a bit more is revealed about the land. Uh, Something more is revealed about the nation that it will be directly through Abram's offspring. But Genesis 17 supercharges it. I couldn't put enough space on these cells in Excel for it. You see, verse 8, if you've still got the passage open, verse 8 names the land that they're going to inherit, Canaan. And it's going to be a permanent possession. Verses 5 to 6 doesn't just refer to offspring or nations, but a multitude of nations and kings. And finally, the blessing gets supercharged in verse 7. The covenant is not just going to be with Abraham. It's going to be a permanent covenant with his offspring. And the greatest blessing is actually spelled out in verses 7 to 8. God will be their God. The one who made the whole universe will be for them, this nation of Israel. How staggering. No no wonder Abram fell face down before God. What a lofty privilege for this nomadic nobody. God is cementing his covenant with Abram And to commemorate this significant moment, he changes Abram's name to Abraham. Now, what's in a name? Most of us uh, have names that don't really 
have significant impact on our identity about who we are. My parents chose my name just because it had an R at the beginning. So it was because my older brother had an R name. They wanted another R name. And uh, Ryan turned out to be a fairly rare name in India, so they just wanted some way for me to stand out. But I don't think they had particular royal aspirations for me, given that the name actually means little king. I don't think that's something that I'm going to ever uh, fulfill as uh, my name's identity. But maybe only those of us who've had our names changed because of marriage might resonate to some shift that a change in a name has to your identity, and, and certainly if it's your surname, the shift that it has to your allegiance. God changes Abram's name to Abraham to reflect the covenant reality. And this, in this ham is built the idea that there's going to be, he's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Given that God has cemented his covenant at this point, what becomes of it? You see, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of all of history in the Old Testament to be able to assess how this covenant is fulfilled in Israel. Now, if you don't know your history, or even if you do, this might be a useful recap to realize that Israel does actually gain the land of Canaan, and the land's borders reach its pinnacle under Solomon's reign. Abraham does beget lots of nations and kings, nations like Israel, Judah, Samaria, kings like David, Solomon, Josiah, and God continues to be their God and keeps his covenant with them. But if you know the history of Israel, you know that the pinnacle doesn't last. The, the people are eventually exiled from the land of Canaan. And amidst the kings are bad rulers like Jeroboam, Ahab, and Manasseh. But God continues to be their God, despite their rejection of him as their God and their desire to live their own way. So how are these promises fulfilled? If, Well, they seem to be fulfilled and then they don't. How is this a permanent covenant? How is this a permanent possession? Well, it's because there are actually even more facets to this covenant. You see, the true pinnacle uh, we know as Christians is actually the Lord Jesus. He is the one who actually prepares a spiritual home for his people, that the land of Israel uh, in Canaan, that it was always just a shadow pointing to a far greater permanent, eternal reality that we long for, that Jesus is preparing for us, that will never perish or fade. Jesus himself is the king of kings. He is the one descended from Abraham, who is the greatest king of this world. And his death actually breaks down the barrier between Jew and non-Jew, so that a multitude of nations are grafted into God's people, that Abraham is a father of multitude nations through Jesus, that every knee, every tongue, every nation will bow before the Lord Jesus. 
And here at Toongabby Anglican Church, I don't know if you've noticed, but on a regular Sunday when we're gathered together, we get to glimpse just a little bit of this reality as we look at the beautiful faces that are gathered here each week. Based on my observations over the last two years of the different kinds of peoples and backgrounds that make up this church, whether first generation or much later, there's all sorts of heritages that are here at this church, isn't there? There are obviously people who are Australian, but there are also Indians, Malagasy, Martians, Chinese, Malaysians, Greeks, Filipinos, Sri Lankans, Italians, Persians, and best of all, Kiwis. I'm sure there are more. And I'd love for you to comment if I miss your nation, because it'd be a great way for us to know the, the way that God is actually knitting all nations, even in the small way in our church already. Maybe it would be fun to do a little uh, Olympic parade of nations on our first Sunday back in person, where people can walk in with their nation and you know, do a little parade around church. I don't know if that'll fly, but the important thing uh, when we think about our national, transnational identity as a church is that it's not sport that unites us or some abstract concept of the human spirit. It's actually the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the fact that God is our God. It's a real person that binds us together. You see, God has kept his covenant promises and he's keeping it still. Maybe not the way that Abraham imagined, not the way that the original readers might have imagined, but in a far greater way, that means that we can be included in these promises as well. I think our only appropriate response to something like this is to mirror Abraham's, to fall face down in worship, in amazement. This covenant truth is a great truth, one Abraham would likely never forget, nor want to, but God still institutes a sign to ensure his people will remember this covenant. The second point uh, of today's passage is that the circumcision is commanded in verses 9 to 27. Circumcision. It's a tender topic. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask someone, but whatever you do, do not Google it. Abraham is told that one of the ways to keep the covenant is through circumcising the foreskin of every male in his house and instituting this for future generations. The consequence of not keeping this is clear in verse 14. Cut it off or be cut off from God's people. Someone who tries to live their own way at this time will not last very long. There's a severe consequence for not keeping the covenant because no people could survive very long on their own. Verse 13 says that the purpose of this snip is that it's supposed to be a physical reminder, a marker, a sign that they are part of the covenant. After giving this charge to circumcision, uh, the narrative shifts slightly, but uh, it's going to come back to circumcision a bit later. You see, in verses 15 to 16, the same promises are made to Sarah that are made to Abraham. 
Her name is changed from Sarah to Sarah. Did you notice the difference? The, the name changed isn't as significant for Sarah. Both her names actually just mean princess. But the idea is to allude to this royal line that Abraham and Sarah are going to have. Sarah is also promised offspring, specifically a son, and that she will be the mother of many nations and kings. In verse 17, Abraham laughs at the idea that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman would be able to conceive and have a son of their own. And instead, he proposes that God would just have Ishmael, his other son, acceptable before him. Now, Mari last Sunday preached on Genesis 15, and so we haven't actually covered that in-between chapter, Genesis 16. Uh, but in today's passage, uh, uh, sorry, between that passage, between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, Abraham and Sarah try to take God's promise of offspring into their own hands, and they have a surrogate son through Sarah's slave, Hagar. That boy, Ishmael, uh, ends up being rejected by Sarah, but God persuades Hagar and Ishmael to stay with Abraham's family. Now, verse 18 shows that Abraham doesn't have uh, the kind of baggage that Sarah seems to. He has lots more love for this son and wants him to be acceptable before God. But God insists in verse 19 that Abraham will have a legitimate heir that the father of nations and the princess will have a son and his name will be Isaac. Now, thinking about the meanings of names, Isaac means laughter. And so every time uh, God, uh, Abraham looks at his son, this, is, I think, is God's little joke, that every, every time he thinks of his son Isaac, he's reminded that he laughed at the sovereign God's promise. But God, in verse 20, is still gracious to Ishmael. He even gives him great promises. He gives him blessing, he gives him a nation, and he promises him 12 tribes. God confirms his covenant will be via Isaac in verse 21, and then in verse 22, God leaves Abraham. This ends up being the longest speech from God in all of Genesis. In verse 23 to verse 27, Abraham enacts his circumcision party. Now, this part makes me squirm more than any other talk of circumcision in this chapter, because Abraham's going to now circumcise everyone, no matter their age. In the future, it's going to happen to the eight-day-old boys, but now it's going to happen to everyone. Imagine you come home from shepherding the flock in the field and you hear that Abram's had a chat with God, how good. But Abram's standing at the door looking a bit sheepish and he explains the situation to you and you're like, come on, dude. All right, let's get it over and done with. It's important to understand the purpose of circumcision. You see, often people assume that it's so that God's people look distinct from the nations around them. But there's evidence in the Bible and outside the Bible that the surrounding nations, there's a few that actually still practice circumcision for other reasons. So that can't be it. But in our passage, uh, there's a few suggestions of why this happened. 
Verse 11 suggests that this is a sign of the covenant. And verse 13 says that the covenant is marked in the flesh to be a permanent covenant. So perhaps this was supposed to be a sign to them that God has given them this covenant that he will be their God. This is why I talked about tattoos in the beginning. Just like Leonard used his tattoos to remind himself of the truth in the movie Memento, so Christians often tattoo themselves, mark their bodies as a reminder of God and his promises. In the Bible, uh, baptism is alluded to be a Christian fulfillment of the circumcision. It's an external sign reminding us of God being our God and being the one who saved us. But in the Bible, actually, the more strong teaching is that we don't need an external sign. All men can now breathe a sigh of relief. You see, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. What matters to God is our faith. What matters to God has always been the circumcision of the heart. That is the greater reality for God. It is an internal marker that God is our God. Even in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 4.4, God says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your hearts, men of Judah and residents of Jerusalem. So if not a physical circumcision, what does this mean? What do we do? What does it look like? Well, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, has actually got a novel take on this. He says, we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. We don't boast in our external signs as a way to show our relationship with God. We boast in Christ, the one who saved us the one who lets us worship through the Spirit of God. This reality should be a balm to us, not just to the men, but to all of us. We don't need some sort of external sign or marker to remind us of our relationship with God. God gives each of us His Spirit. Despite even being in lockdown and not being able to gather together, we still have this marker, this true way to know that God keeps his promises. As circumcision would have eventually been a comfort to God's people then, the reality that Jesus gives us his spirit is a spiritual comfort to us now, for God's people now. If this lockdown is making you anxious and particularly making you doubt your eternal security, the reminder of this passage is that God will keep his promises. He will be the one who fulfills those promises of a spiritual home, of bringing in all nations and people to worship him, of the blessing of his presence. And he fulfills this promise to us even now. The Spirit is the one who guarantees our hope. Let me finish with this, brothers and sisters. We need no tattoo to remind us of our relationship with God, 
I'm sure everyone who's got a tattoo that's a Christian tattoo knows this. It's not like the tattoo makes them certain that they have a relationship with God. It's actually the presence of the Spirit in us. We have a true and better covenant that breaks national barriers and gives us all the privileges of being God's people. And we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit as a far greater sign of our relationship with God than circumcision ever was.